0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode five of Zach and Barry Talk Football. My name is Baram Kazi, aka Barry.
1: I'm Zakaria Aga, aka Zach.
0: And today we'll be covering the round of sixteen stage of the FIFA World Cup 2018, diving into the quarterfinals.
1: So let's get right into it. So the first game we're going to talk about is the France-Argentina game. Lots of goals in this game, a lot happened, a lot to talk about. What do you think was the difference for you?
0: Well, France have finally arrived in this tournament and the one standout player for me in this game was Kylian Mbappe. He's a teenage prodigy and I'm sure that superstardom awaits him. He was electric, Uh, he's got a very sublime touch, serious pace and uh, this guy's mature beyond his years. I think that he very nicely exploited Argentina's aging and rather fragile defense and uh, just impossible to stop on the night.
1: Yeah, he had a very good game. I think uh, the, this system that France played uh, really allowed him to excel in that role. He was uh, he had enough freedom to stay forward, to run forward towards uh, the Argentinian backline and they just had no answer for his face. Uh, but I think aside from that, this is uh, we've probably seen France's best 11 now. I think this is the best eleven that they could have put on the field at the same time. Uh, Usman Dembele, of course, an amazing player. But just to allow everyone else to play to the full potential, I think it was important for Giroud to have been there in the middle.
0: Yes, I agree that having Olivier Giroud up there not only provides experience, but he's also a physical sort of character. He's a big man, so he can provide layups for other attackers. But um, I must give credit to Didier Deschamps. He's finally figured out his starting eleven. And at their full potential, this France attack is extremely fluid. It was also a really, really big game for young Benjamin Pavard. I mean, I honestly have not had not heard his name before this World Cup, but he really, really put in a mature in performance. He uh, pretty much nullified the threat from Angel Di Maria. And that goal was just, it was an absolute scorcher. So I think it's a big game for him. And I expect some uh, top club to come and notch him up.
1: Yeah, a very, very good game for him. Amazing goal. Uh, I don't know if I would put Nacho's goal above that or below that. I think he did kind of slice it a little bit. I don't know. It looked like he did it on purpose, but I, I don't know how much he meant for it to curve in that fashion. But amazing goal nonetheless. Uh, coming back to Kylian Mbappe, what a performance, especially for a 19-year-old. I don't think I can remember the last time I've seen a player this young uh, light up a World Cup like that. Aside from him, though, I saw I liked how uh, Griezmann was taking some responsibility again. But I feel like Pogba is getting, has been getting some plaudits for his performance from this game, but I think he could have been better. I think he could have had more of an effect on the game. And I think their front line is what really got France through this game. But I don't know if I would say this was Pogba playing up to his potential.
0: Well, if you look at all the three midfielders that France were playing, Pogba, uh, Matuidi and Kante, Pogba was definitely the worst out of the three, even though he had a decent game. But Matuidi was fantastic this game and Kante just did not give Messi any room to play with. So yes, in that regard, I do feel you are right. But then again, I think a lot of it has to do with the price tag that Pogba was sold for uh, at Manchester United. So I think he just hasn't lived up to that price tag yet. But he's having a decent tournament. Now, I would like to see how France cope without Blaise Matuidi in the quarters. Because for me, he was a very, very crucial player in this game. And even that second goal, uh, the one... That Benjamin Pavard scored. I think Matuidi was the one who set it up and that was a fantastic ball.
1: Yeah, uh, it will be a big miss. I think they don't even have a, a similar option to come off of the bench. I think most likely to play in his place is Nabil Fakir, who is an amazing player, but he's very, very different from Matuidi. So they may lack some of that physicality in midfield. Uh, they may lack some of that protection in front of the back line as well. Moving on, what went wrong for Argentina?
0: But before I get into Argentina, I'd just like to point out that France do have quarantined Liso, So maybe he replaces Matuidi and he does uh, sort of offer that physical aspect. But let's, yeah, let's move on to Argentina. And boy have they been bad this tournament. I mean, the defensive vulnerability was bound to catch up with them and they were really, really slow in defense. And uh, I would like to point out that Javier Mascherano, he, he's had a tumultuous tournament. He was really, really horrible. And I think it's officially the end of the road for him. Was very sloppy in defense and didn't do much to help his front line either. And considering how crucial Mascherano was in the 2014 World Cup for Argentina, I think his form uh, largely dictated the way that Argentinian midfield played. But other than that, uh, there was the obvious sort of question that why did Sampaoli not start an out-and-out striker like Higuain or Aguero? I mean, uh, that was a big question mark uh, in this entire game. He brought on Aguero in the 80th minute or so and and he had an impact. He was the one who got that third goal. And uh, other than that, I mean... Paulo Dybala has had a wonderful season for Juventus. For him to only play around twenty twenty two minutes in four games, I think that is shambolic. An absolute calamity. And I cannot forgive Sam Paoli for this.
1: Yeah, I think coming into this game as well, considering Argentina changed their lineups a lot in in all of their group games. I thought at least they would go um, sort of with the sort of lineup that, that they played in their last group game against Nigeria. Uh, it fared them pretty well, and I thought they would go with something similar. I don't understand why, given how much they play through Messi, how important he is in spreading their play and in, in making them them play as a team, why they would push him further forward or play him as a false knight. He was you know affecting the play a lot when he was playing in a deeper role. It allowed uh, Benega some more... Uh, you know, took some of the creative responsibility off of him. Benega being there took some of the creative responsibility off Messi. They both complemented each other that way. And having a central figure in front of them, I think allowed the entire team to come into play more as well. So, yeah, I do agree that either Higuain or Aguero should have started. I would have personally put Higuain up there just because uh, of how he played in the Nigeria game. But then again, yeah, the other point is, why didn't we see more of Diwala as well? The one time we did see DiBala in this in this tournament, I thought he played quite well. But given a player of his caliber, how can you justify coming this far into this tournament, clearly, clearly struggling, and still not giving him any game time? I I don't get it.
0: Well, we've been saying that all tournament, haven't we? That Messi should be playing in a deeper role, and uh, the fact that he's such a magnificent passer of the ball, I don't see why that wasn't possible. That would have also allowed them to play a front three of DiBala, Aguero slash Higuain, and Di Maria. Uh, That really baffles me as well. But all in all, Argentina have had a below-par World Cup and they didn't deserve to go any further. So any last comments from your side?
1: Yeah, I don't think they deserve to go any further either. I think it was fair for them to get knocked out at this point. I'm not sure if it's who the responsibility comes down to in this this case. Uh, We know that Messi has a lot of control over Argentina's squad and team selection. So do you think that Argentina relied too much on Messi uh, as a team? Or does Messi have too much power in the Argentina camp, which makes him pick the team too much around him? Clearly, this team's being built around him. So, it's either one of those two things.
0: I think it's going to be a bit of both. Uh, they have to sort of rely on Messi and, and look at him as that focal figure because he's Lionel Messi. But then again, I also believe that Messi, with the sort of star power that he has... He had quite a bit of role to play uh, in the team selection. And I might be completely wrong over here. But the fact that they've been so rigid with their front line, they've kept playing Pavon and Meza when they've had talents like Dybala on the bench, one can only help but think that something was up. Anyway, uh, let's move on to Uruguay. And uh, Uruguay, I've been saying this throughout our, all of our podcasts, that they have been the best defensive unit this World Cup. I mean, Godin, Jimenez and Caceres, these are world-class defenders and they did not give any room to Portugal. Now, that game uh, was an Edinson Cavani special. He clearly eclipsed Cristiano Ronaldo and his partnership with Luis Suarez is possibly the best strike force in the World Cup. I mean, the way Suarez has the sort of ability to hold up play, uh, that gives Cavani time and space to run forward, make that run. And uh, Suarez's pinpoint passes, they, they, they can find Cavani and they can be an absolute threat to other teams. So uh, I think that that is one of the biggest pluses that Uruguay will have in the game against France, provided that Edinson Cavani is fit to play.
1: Yeah, after the first game uh, that Uruguay played in the World Cup, I wasn't so sure how well uh, Suarez and Cavani will do to get in this tournament. They both seemed uh, a little off-color, a little lazy. Uh, again, I saw. I said Suarez was too far up front, wasn't getting involved in play as much. But in this game, we saw more of the Luis Suarez who we're used to: drops deep, you know, affects play in in other areas. That, and then Cavani, of course, fantastic striker, physical, big, strong. And that pass that Cavani played to Suarez, forty yards across the pitch, um, not something you would attribute to him usually, but beautiful pass, and then Suarez reciprocated with the this cross to the far post. I thought this was a very, very solid performance from Uruguay. Um, very good in the back. Obviously, we've known that they're solid back there. But given how well their front line is doing now, I think they pose a very serious threat.
0: Absolutely. And I just hope that Edinson Cavani's uh, calf injury doesn't persist. Some other breakthrough performances in this game that we weren't expecting by Diego Lagzalt and uh, Lucas Torreira. These guys were putting their body on the line. They were there to defend all the time. And Laxalt actually has quite some pace. And when he runs down the flank, he can be quite a threat. So what do you think about these two players?
1: Yeah, I think Uruguay needed another another couple of players to step up for them to be really considered uh, as a contender for this World Cup. We know that they have a solid centre-back pairing. We know that they have a solid strike pairing. And I think these two players would really add to that. I thought Laxall in particular, brilliant performance. Uh, you know, making room for himself on the wing. You know, very good going forward. Always there in the back as well. Very solid performance.
0: Yeah, it really is a complete and experienced team, I might add. And uh, this Uruguay team is going to be extremely hard to beat. That's one thing that they've proven. And I would go on to say that they're more than dark horses at this point.
1: Yeah, definitely more than dark horses. I think Uruguay is probably the most defensively solid team we've seen so far in this World Cup. And uh, while being that, there are not a lot of teams in this World Cup in general that are defensively solid. So I think that centre-back pairing, Godin and Jimenez, uh, might take them all the way to the final.
0: Yeah, you cannot deny that. But I think that France have a slight edge over Uruguay in the quarter-final fixture coming up, considering that Cavani uh, got injured in the last game. And that France have Mbappe. Now, when you have that sort of talent and when that sort of talent gets that sort of space up front, which I'm sure Uruguay will try to nullify... But just that sort of edge that Mbappe and Griezmann and all of France's attackers give them, I think that they are slightly favourites in this game, but you just cannot write Uruguay off either. It's it's fairly 50-50 at this point, but I think that France might just edge through.
1: Yeah, I agree with everything you said, but I think Uruguay will still come out on top. I think at the end, this game will come down to the in- individuals. Man for man, I'd still take France's squad, but I think Uruguay's experienced players are some of the best in their position that you would find anywhere in the world. I think this France squad is still a bit young and they only have a couple of leaders uh, in Griezmann. is uh, stepping up, but of course he's too young. is uh, supposed to be a leader. I don't think he's quite shown that to us yet. And Tweedy, who I would see as the most senior figure in the squad, uh, aside from them, uh, won't be present in this game. So I think having the solidity of Godin and Jimenez in the back with the experience of Suarez up front will be what causes Uruguay to come through in this game. But if Cavani is missing, then that could have an effect on the outcome.
0: If Cavani is fully fit, I'd certainly agree with the fact that Uruguay could even steamroll France because France haven't really uh, faced quality uh, defensive units in this World Cup. The one good defensive team that they did play was Denmark and they failed to score against them. And Argentina, as we know, was extremely shaky at the back. So scoring four goals against them might just be throwing us off as far as our analysis is concerned. But yes, uh, with a fully fit Uruguayan team, I think Uruguay has every chance to go through. But uh, before we move on to the next batch of games, let's just talk a little bit about Portugal. I mean, they had been a one-man show so far. And as Ronaldo had another unconvincing game, they just couldn't keep up. I mean, there was a lack of creativity throughout the tournament. And I really think that in this game, they should have started Ricardo Quaresma and João Moutinho. They were crucial during Portugal's Euro campaign and they were senior figures. I think Portugal needed their level heads in this game and they were sorely missed.
1: Yeah, I think given uh, Uruguay's centre-back pairing, they they were bound to keep Ronaldo at bay to a decent amount and not let him have as big an effect on the game as other centre uh, other defensive lines would. Um, so they needed some experience in midfield. Someone who could, you know, have have them playing like a team a bit more. So, Hau would have done a lot in there. And I think charisma, another senior figure in their team, could have been used. But at the end, I think this was a pretty fair result. Uh, Uruguay were the better team, easily. And, uh, and then they showed it.
0: Absolutely, they just did not size up to the quality and cohesion of this Uruguayan team. And they deservedly exit the tournament, in my opinion. Anyway, let's move on to the next batch of games the big shock spain is out and uh well all possession no punch no penetration seemed too casual and did not show any urgency for my liking uh, a lot of short sideways passes in fact for the entire 120 minutes and the defensive errors were constant throughout their campaign so i think a collective of all of these things cost uh, spain that quarterfinal spot
1: yeah, I think so too. I think I can draw a lot of comparisons between the way Spain played in this tournament and the way Argentina did. Uh, they looked like they were struggling to break teams down. There was a lot of side-based passing, a lot of holding possession, but not a lot of bravery in their play, I felt. I, I felt Isco was one of the only players who was trying to penetrate through the middle, who was uh, you know trying to take on his man, make some space for a pass, make some space for his other teammates. But aside from that, I felt like Spain just weren't brave enough going forward. A lot of times, uh, in the Germany game, for example, when Germany were really against the ropes, uh, I know that they went out of this tournament. But when they were against the ropes, you would see um, their center backs going onto the wings. Jerome Boateng, kind of on the right side, because he's the only person who can find space. You know, trying to uh, spread the play a bit more, uh, try to put the ball into the box himself. And even when Spain were uh, were in possession and struggling to break down Russia, uh, you didn't see Pique or uh, Sergio Ramos move into space, move further up the field and take more possession of the ball. The bowler, both are ball-playing centre-backs and you'd expect them to move further up forward when their team's struggling to break uh, the opposition down so that their midfield players like Isco and David Silva would have more room in more dangerous areas so that they won't have to play uh, affect play from deeper uh, within their within the opposition's half. But yeah, I think eventually Spain did pay the price for their tactics. Yes, Spain definitely looked
0: like a shadow of the team that once won three major tournaments in a row. And they did have the quality uh, midfielders like Isco, who had a great tournament. Like you said, he seemed like the only one who was trying to penetrate the Russian defence. And uh, Iniesta, David Silva, Sergio Busquets, getz uh, Thiago. So they did have all of these players, but they just they failed to deliver against a Russian team which was significantly inferior. Now, maybe they were too relaxed. Maybe they believed that if they just sit back, the opportunity will come. But uh, a lack of trying, a lack of intent, really, uh, it it all comes down to that for me. And uh, when they brought in Rodrigo right at the end of extra time, He actually brought some spark into the game, and I think maybe he should have uh, come in instead of Iago Aspas when Costa was brought off. Now, I've been saying that Costa doesn't have a lot of help off the bench from the start of the tournament, and uh, he actually might have. I mean, Rodrigo looked pretty promising, so I think he deserved more of an opportunity.
1: Perhaps, uh, but I think what's more important to note here is how well the Russian defense did in nullifying Diego Costa as a threat. He's one of the best strikers in the world right now. He's one of the best strikers in this tournament, as we've seen. Very easy for him to bully opposition defenders. And maybe the blame doesn't fall as much on Iago Aspas as it does praise for the Russian defence in uh, nullifying the front line of Spain.
0: Yes, uh, that is also an interesting take. I mean, the Russians were pretty solid in defence and they stuck to their plan very well. And I expect them to continue to do so. This is pretty much how they're going to proceed. They didn't give uh, the Spaniards much room and they're having a dream run. I mean, even though they will need to do more up front, I mean, they had a number of opportunities to break, but they kept losing the ball and couldn't build that momentum. But I think they have the whole nation behind them, so they can't be written off. Anyway, uh, coming back to Spain, do you think that the sacking, uh, the untimely sacking of uh, Julian Lopetegui, that could have made a difference? Was that sort of responsible for Spain's campaign?
1: Yeah, I think that did definitely have an effect on it. Because it seemed when Spain were against the ropes, they didn't have a plan B. Uh, Perhaps uh, maybe they hadn't gone through as many training sessions as they would have liked with their new coach. But they seem to be lacking uh, ideas in cases like this where they're struggling to break the opposition down. Aside from that, I think obviously it must have had some effect on the dressing room. Senior players would have had to step up, uh, take more responsibility. And um, sometimes it just doesn't work out when that happens. So yeah, I think behind the scenes, what happened did have a big effect on how we saw Spain play in this tournament.
0: Yes, uh, well, let's move on to Croatia. I think they've been pretty fantastic this tournament, even though this past game was probably their worst. They played pretty well in the first half and they attacked from the flanks and were on top of the Danes after conceding a goal in the first minute. But then they lost colour in the second half uh, and Denmark uh, credited them for their tactical change. They didn't really allow Rebic and Perisic any space and uh, when they sort of denied Croatia with that game plan, there didn't really seem to be any plan B. Uh, Both wingers were neutralized and all of a sudden Croatia couldn't quite figure out uh, where the goals would come from. So I think that is a big concern going forward as the Russian team would definitely have noted this and they would want to restrict Croatia on the flanks. And Croatia might not be the same attacking team that we've seen in this
1: tournament going forward since they've been exposed. Yeah, a couple of things surprised me about Croatia's performance in this game. Uh, First off, they were finding a good amount of space in the wide areas uh, early on in the game for me. But their final ball seemed to lack, you know, accuracy, lack the correct power. Um, I don't know why, but they would always be able to isolate the fullback one-on-one quite often. But after that, the final ball going into the box was just not up to the standard that's required. The second thing was that they didn't seem to dominate the midfield the way I would think. Denmark was finding a lot of space. It was quite easy for them to play through uh, Croatia, you know, find a lot of space in Croatia's final third as well. And they were able to fashion a number of opportunities because of that. I would have thought we would have seen Croatia have a lot more of the ball because of how good their midfield is. Um, Later on in the game, of course, everything started going through Modric and Croatia started playing a lot better for me. But um, I feel like their midfield lacks um, legs. It lacks a lot of uh, running. You know, you have no midfielder who will just run his socks off behind the ball so that you can win it back higher up in in the opposition's half. Uh, So lacking a player like that, when they're on the ball, they look great. But when they're off the ball... That they don't seem to close spaces for the opposition as much as I would have liked.
0: Fair enough, and uh, there will be a lot of pressure against the home team, but I do think that they do possess a lot more quality than Russia. I mean, for Russia, I think Igor Akinfeev and Alexander Golovin, who's been really impressive this tournament, I think these are their two main guys, their go-to guys, who they'll be expecting a lot from. Russia's hopes, I think, rest on them. The Croatian team, I think, is better equipped than the heroic squad of '98. And many of these players might never play a World Cup again. So it's now or never for Croatia, really. Now, another guy who had a really good game was uh, Subasic, Showed a lot of nerve in the penalty shootout. And since they have a good goalkeeper, uh, a decent defence, a very strong midfield and threat up ahead... I think that they're a very, very, very well-rounded team and have what it takes to win the whole thing.
1: Yeah, I think they definitely have the squad to go all the way. Uh, they have some very experienced players too, which will help. Uh, moving on towards Russia, I think uh, we may be underestimating Russia a little bit in this game. They're actually very good on the counter-attack. Uh, and we weren't able to see that against Spain because, again, um, like I said, Spain, while they were struggling to break Russia down, I thought they didn't take as many risks. Uh, so we couldn't see Russia hit them on the break as much. Uh, One of the things that I'm a little unsure about in Russia's team selection is Denis Cheryshev, for me, has been one of their best players of the tournament. I can't understand why he hasn't been getting a start and why he he still isn't getting a start. He looks great off the bench, of course, uh, but I think he should be starting the game against Croatia.
0: Definitely. Cheryshev does deserve a start. Uh, But I think that if Russia are to win this thing, the only real chance they have is just sit back Uh, wait for the counter. But they're not really that good at the counter. I I, I disagree with you. I mean, they're decent. But against Spain, we saw that they uh, lacked that sort of composure. They lost their nerve a bit when they were going forward and they couldn't quite handle the ball well. So I think that they will struggle against Croatia as well. But the key for them is definitely going to be restricting Croatia on the flanks. We saw how uh, that made Croatia panic against Denmark. And the Danes did a very good job defending as well, mind you. But That sort of lack of plan B might come and bite Croatia.
1: Yeah, I think they'll expect to have a lot of the ball. So it'll depend a lot on how well the Russians are organized, how well they're set up, and whether or not Croatia can break them down. If they don't have a plan B for breaking uh, Russia down, if Russia closes spaces well enough, then we could see Croatia punished. Also, uh, we know that this Croatia defense now, we know that they can be a little frail. Uh, Dejan Lovren, of course, uh, is always prone to mistake. I think this Russian forward line can counter-attack on them well enough to cause them some problems. Uh, again, obviously, Denis Cheryshev, whether he starts or comes off the bench, I think will have an effect on it for me. But I think we'll see some goals in this game for sure. I don't think Croatia will walk away with a clean sheet.
0: I think otherwise. I think we won't see a lot of goals in this game. And I maybe Croatia, you know, sneaks past Russia 1-0. I, I don't see Russia scoring goals in this game. Maybe one goal. But uh, for me, Croatia should go through. Anyway, one final thought on this uh, round of games. Denmark uh, should definitely hold their heads high. They knew their limitations and they were tactically on point throughout the tournament. I mean, they didn't lose a game in regular time uh, all tournament. And Kasper Schmeichel, superstar of the team and stepped up when it mattered most. Uh, They proved to be really, really hard to beat throughout the tournament. So uh, I think Danish football is definitely on the rise. And with leaders like Schmeichel, Eriksson, Polsen and Christensen, I think uh, there are better days to come.
1: Yeah, I think they can be very proud of how they've gone out of this tournament. Very close to coming through, obviously. Castro-Schmeichel heroic performance. He deserves all the plaudits he gets. Uh, We saw Peter Schmeichel in the stands as well. Um, uh, I think, yeah, I think they're going in the right direction. I think they can take a lot of positives off of this tournament. With a player like Christian Eriksen, who will be around for for quite a while, um, I think uh, there's a, a sort of player they can build a team around. So, hoping to see them in uh, points of the tournament like this in future tournaments as well.
0: Okay, let's move on to the next batch of games.
1: The next game we're going to talk about is Brazil versus Mexico. Brazil, of course, winning 2-0 against Mexico. Uh, finally, a great performance for Neymar, but uh, Brazil will be missing Casimiro for their next game. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one?
0: Well, Brazil are getting into their own slowly, but we still haven't quite seen that free-flowing football up front from Brazil. The defence, though, has been resolute. They have only conceded one goal so far this World Cup. However, they do tend to switch off every now and then. And fortunately for them, the opposition hasn't capitalised in those moments so far. But as you mentioned, Neymar has finally gotten a man-of-the-match performance. But, you know, I I did lose some respect because those theatrics that Neymar pulls off on the pitch, I mean, you've got to be kidding me.
1: Yeah, I saw a number of people having a go at him. Twitter went mad after uh, Neymar's performance. Peter Schmeichel also went went after Neymar uh, during, a, I think it was a press conference, or maybe it was, he was a pundit on, on some channel I saw. Uh, but yeah, it's it's really terrible to see. No one wants to see, see him do that. He's a great player, great ability, a great performance as well, um, playing for one of the best teams in the world, both for club and country. There's no need for that in football. No one wants to see it. Um, so let's hope that we don't see more of that in the future. But aside from that what did you think of this Brazil team this uh, this performance by Brazil Who were the standout performers for you and and who looked uh, a little underwhelming?
0: Well, they did look comfortable on the ball, more comfortable than they've looked all uh, tournament. And even though Marcelo is injured, I thought Felipe Luiz is a great cover and he's having a good few games. Fagner has really impressed me as right back. I mean, uh, that was one of the areas we had circled out that Brazil might struggle because uh, there is no Dani Alves due to injury. But Fagner has been pretty decent. But the man of the match for me personally in this game was Willian. For the first good game for him this World Cup, and that is sure to boost the whole team's confidence. Jesus was quite underwhelming. He's uh, had a miserable World Cup. And, you know, it might just be time to start Roberto Firmino.
1: Yeah, the Willian thing is interesting because, of course, he got his he got to play. He got to start this game because Douglas Costa was injured. And in the previous game, we saw Douglas Costa put in a very good performance. In the next game, it'll be interesting to see. Having seen both of them do well on in the same position, it'll be interesting to see who gets to start. Moving on from there, Gabriel Jesus, I agree, has had a very underwhelming World Cup. I think out of this entire Brazil squad, he's maybe the least sure for his position currently right now, because not only has he failed to impress to the level that maybe we would expect, but Firmino, every time he's come on, he's he's caused problems. He's been scoring goals, he's been assisting, he's been causing problems every time he's on the pitch. So it'll be really interesting to see if, finally, will Firmino get a start or will they persist with Gabriel Jesus? Aside from that, what do you think about Casemiro missing the next game? How big of a miss is that for Brazil?
0: I think that's a big, big miss. I mean, Casemiro has been part of the Real Madrid team that has done so well in Europe in the past few years. He's been a champion. He's been one of the best central uh, defensive midfielders in the past few years. I think it's a big, big miss, especially given that he, he can also uh, hit the long-range goals. Uh, so, I... I do feel that Brazil have good enough cover in Fernandinho. But just because Casemiro was starting every game, I think they feel that sort of deficit in midfield.
1: Yeah, Fernandinho, of course, will be a very good replacement for Casemiro. They do have cover in that area. But I think Casemiro and Fernandinho, while playing the same position, are very different players. I feel like Casemiro is someone who would be more important in a game uh, like the one they have against Belgium, where the forward players are very mobile. Fernandinho, on the other hand much more physical player but Casemiro I think has more legs in him and and I think that that's something they'll that they'll miss. Uh, aside from that Mexico what do you think they did wrong who were the performers for you for them and what can they take out of this tournament?
0: I think Chicharito went missing when it mattered most. A lot was expected of him. He was supposed to be their star on the day. But other than that I think Mexico played a decent game. They just failed to create the chances in the final third. I mean they did they kept up the pace and made quite a few runs. But they lacked that decision-making. And even though they started the game really well, I think they exhausted themselves. And Brazil took advantage of that. But uh, going forward, I think Herving Lozano is a very, very good prospect for the future of Mexico. And Ochoa. Yet again, another good World Cup campaign. And unfortunately, his performance was not enough for Mexico to finally go past the round of 16. One last thought on Mexico is that as a country, I think they should shift their focus towards exporting more talent to Europe. I think that makes the most sense for them and should be the next step.
1: Yeah, I think we see a great number of concentration of these Mexican players uh, who do leave... Uh, Mexico itself to play either in the MLS or in some of them you see in Spain. But I think if we see more of them in and around the biggest clubs in Europe playing top-level club football, then we'll see Mexico build off of this and do well uh, in for tournaments in the future. Of course, Mexico, the U.S. and Canada joined hosting the World Cup in 2026, so that'll be something to look forward to. Moving on, the other game, of course, was Japan versus Belgium. What a game this was. I think probably one of my picks for the best game of the World Cup so far Amazing to watch. What are your thoughts on this one?
0: Well, definitely the best comeback of the World Cup, hands down. And, uh, well, this Japanese team impressed the whole world. I mean, they took the game by the scruff of the neck. They were ruthless coming forward and they capitalized on the large gaps on the flanks as a result of Belgium's 3-4-3 formation. And Takashi Nui, I think he's one of the fines of the World Cup and he scored a wonderful long-distance goal to beat one of the very best in the business, Thibaut Courtois. So I think... Japan played with a lot of courage and they did not resort to that minnow mentality of, you know, parking the bus. And they nearly pulled off what would have been a historic moment uh, for the whole country. But I think it all came down to lack of big game experience and that probably got the better of them. They weren't able to defuse that counter for Belgium in the final minute. And which, by the way, was fantastic. Uh, Within around 10 seconds, Belgium got the ball all the way from their half to Japan's box. And it was a wonderful last minute goal. But I do think that Japan, even though they have faltered towards the end, they have a solid platform to build off from. And they can be really proud of their World Cup campaign.
1: Yeah, the one thing I thought that Japan wouldn't do was that if they found themselves in a position where they were up against a team such as Belgium, that they wouldn't be able to close out the game. Uh, considering that they had about four or five, I think, players uh, who had World Cup experience who had been at least one or two different World Cups. I thought that they had enough big players to be able to close a game out like that. But as we saw, uh, either put it down to Belgium being too good or Japan just losing their cool, not being able to hold Belgium off for long enough. uh, They just weren't able to do it. But yeah, very spirited performance, a great game to watch uh, again. Belgium, I have to give them props. Everyone from Roberto Martinez to Lukaku, Azard everyone played their part in that win. Bringing Fellaini off the bench, an option for Manchester United, now an option for Belgium. He just can't stop scoring important goals.
0: Well, definitely props to Roberto Martinez. That substitution to bring on Chadli and Fellaini, it worked wonders. And you, get, you really can't fault Japan on those uh, first and second goals that Belgium scored. One was a freak header by Watongen, and the other one was a fantastic delivery by Hazard. And when those sort of deliveries come in, Marwan Fellaini scores more often than not. And lastly, I think Kevin De Bruyne played a beautiful pass to set up the third goal that was on the counter. But still, I do think that there are some holes in this Belgium lineup. And even though they will be uh, happy with Vincent Company's return, They should be concerned with that defensive performance. I mean, they cannot afford to give that sort of space on the flanks to Neymar and Villian. That's going to be suicide. Also, I think Yannick Carrasco and Romelu Lukaku had a terrible game. Lukaku missed at least three open headers, and if he does that against Brazil, I'm sure Belgium will be in deep, deep trouble.
1: Yeah, Lukaku seems to be getting into the right spaces. He he receives the ball in the right spaces, and he makes the chances for himself. Of course, he has uh, abundance of good delivery in the form of Azard, uh, Kevin De Bruyne, Mertens. uh, Pretty much, there's tons of providers in his team for him, but he can't seem to find the back of the net as consistently as we would have liked. I think he still had a good game. Of course, getting into the right positions is very good. Occupying the defenders is very important to allow the rest of your team to play. But we need to see Lukaku get to the form that we know is capable of for, for Belgium to win this tournament, I think. I think the... Uh, similarly to what we're saying to Brazil, there are a few holes in this Belgium team, and I think their striker, their main striker, not performing up to his standard, is one of the biggest holes over there. But of course, Belgium do lack the sort of cover that uh, that Brazil have in that in that area. I don't think Mickey Bachiwi is maybe of the same caliber as Roberto Firmino right now.
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, I don't read. Michi Batshuayi very highly. But I do rate Eden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne and Thibaut Courtois very highly. I think these guys uh, should step up uh, and be leaders for Belgium in the game against Brazil. They did step up their game against Japan and both De Bruyne and Hazard, Hazard provided crucial assists. And on the counter, Belgium might possibly be the best team on show. They do have the talent to lift the cup, but once again, they face the demons of the quarterfinal stage. They've lost in the quarterfinals in the last World Cup and the Euro. And Brazil will be their hardest challenge yet. Now, Belgium's golden generation has matured and they have showed character in this comeback win. But they need a bit more leadership from their big players. And this crop of players is under a lot of pressure to deliver. Because apart from league titles, uh, all these players that play for Belgium, they haven't quite impressed in the Champions League or international tournaments. So I believe they do have what it takes, but there's every possibility of a Belgium choke.
1: Yeah, I I agree. There is every possibility of a Belgium choke. I think uh, it'll be interesting to watch this game because both teams line up extremely differently. Belgium, of course, have a very good, very good front line, a very mobile front line, except for Romelu Lukaku, who's also quite quick, even though he may not seem like it. Uh, But Brazil... In particular, very good wide players, wide players who like to receive the ball, and then fullbacks who like to overlap over those wide players. So Belgium, considering they only play three at the back, it'll be interesting to see how they try to counter all that attacking threat from Brazil from the wide areas. And in Brazil, in the same way, Belgium are very good at going through the center at counter attacking. So it'll be interesting to see if Belgium hold back and try to play off the counter. I'm not really sure where this game is going to be won and lost, but I think Missing Casemiro is going to have a huge effect on how Brazil are going to play.
0: Frankly, I think Belgium shouldn't be playing with uh, back three in the first place. I think they should go with four defenders. And in the midfield, uh, they should stack up with Fellaini and Musa Dembele. And these two can provide the space for Kevin De Bruyne to go forward. And up front, they have Hazard, Mertens and Dukaku. So I think that should be the lineup they should play. They should definitely drop Yannick Carrasco. But it's going to be an interesting game because both Brazil and Belgium haven't quite faced quality opposition yet. I mean, Belgium did face England, but it was a depleted England side. Most of the players were rested and so were Belgians. So I think this will be a very, very tough game for either side. And both these defenses, even though Brazil have only conceded one goal, I think the quality of the Belgium attack will seriously test them. And similarly, Neymar and Willian will be really hard to stop for this Belgium's defense.
1: Yeah, it should be an interesting watch. Uh, let's move on to the next set of games.
0: So let's talk about Sweden, the surprise package of the 2018 World Cup. Well, they've barely had any possession all tournament, and they yet they continue to impress, and they must be given credit for their journey. They've been very, very resolute in defence for the most part. And they've been a very, very gritty team. They have tall, strong players. And uh, and even though their football may seem scrappy and not very beautiful at times, they're getting the job done. And mind you, this is the same team that eliminated Italy in the playoffs. And they have won three out of four games.
1: Yeah, I think we take for granted just how big the Sweden team is. They're very good physically. They can oppose themselves on the opposition. And I think England uh, are are in for a fight against them. Um, It'll be interesting to see how they line up against England, uh, whether they sit back or whether they think that they can dominate England a little more. Uh, But this, yeah, this will definitely be an interesting game to watch. I mean, the fact that they've achieved so much without Zlatan Ibrahimovic
0: is absolutely amazing. And they will be bolstered by the return of Sebastian Larsson for the quarterfinal. But I do think they need to stick to the same plan. Uh, against England. They should just sit back and wait for the counter. And their morale is very, very high. So they must not be taken lightly by England. And the Swedish coach, Jan Andersson, he did say that this Swedish team is not happy with just a quarterfinal run. So they want to achieve more and they see that opportunity to create history. So can't write them off, but ah, they still, as far as quality is concerned, they aren't as quite stacked up as that English side
1: Yeah, man for man, I think I'd definitely take the English side over them. But Sweden have made it this far, uh, and so we can't count them out. What do you think Switzerland were missing in this game, and what do you think they can take out from this tournament?
0: Well, I think they'll be extremely disappointed with their round of 16 exit. I think their best player has been Jan Sommer. He was one of the goalkeepers of the tournament for me, produced a number of brilliant saves and even conceded an unlucky goal against Sweden. I mean, Emil Fosberg scored off a deflection. So with every passing game, I did feel that the Swiss defence looked more disorganised. And uh, Shakiri, Jumaili, and Jaka they failed to step up their game against Sweden. And even though Switzerland looked threatening and attacked this tournament, they did fare pretty poorly when you consider that they're ranked sixth in the world. And I feel that Swiss football has stagnated at this current level. And I feel that more players need to be outsourced to bigger leagues.
1: Yeah, I think some of Switzerland's biggest players uh, in the form of maybe Jordan Shakiri, and Ganachaka Chaka, aren't coming off of their best club seasons. I think they do have a squad that they can uh, maybe look to in the future. They do have a couple of prospects coming up. But some of their best players are starting to age, uh, of course, being uh, Berami, Shakiri, uh, and Shaka as well. I think one of the biggest problems that they had was that there was too much creative responsibility on Jordan Segurie. He was all all their passes uh, seemed to be going through him. They they kept looking for him on the ball and when he couldn't deliver then they, they didn't seem to have a plan B. But I think maybe in future tournaments if they can find a way to divide that creative responsibility, maybe get another couple of creative players, then we can see Switzerland do a lot better because on the on the counterattack on the break, we know that they can be quite a threatening team.
0: Well I think they've missed a golden opportunity here to make their first quarter final appearance in sixty-four years. But anyway, let's move on to England. It's coming home, lads! They've done it! They've won a penalty shootout. Harry Kane is the leader on the pitch and boy, he holds up the ball really well and draws fouls when England are under pressure. So I have been really, really impressed by Harry Kane right from his breakthrough season in the Premier League. Really, I do feel that England haven't quite had a leader like him in the past.
1: Yeah, I think they've been missing a central figure like Harry Kane, like, uh, like how they have Harry Kane right now. Every time I see England come under pressure in possession if they their goal up, I see them find him with the ball. He can not only get the ball, he can turn, he can hold it up and then draws a foul to relieve the pressure. Uh, it's a great centre-forward play, and I haven't seen them have a centre-forward like this for well as long as I've been seeing England play, really. Um, aside from that, Sterling up front. Um, I know Sterling has a terrible shot, but he can take on players like I haven't seen any England player do in a while. Um, He seems to be playing without fear. And although he's struggling to put the ball in the back of the net, I still think he's having a good tournament so far. But I think this England side is very well balanced. They, They have cover in a lot of different places. They have some quality players coming off of great club seasons. Are they contenders or are we overselling them right now?
0: At this point, they're contenders because they're in the easier side of the draw. And a few of their players have really, really stepped it up. Uh, I would like to mention Kieran Trippier. He's been really, really good uh, as a wing back, And he also scored that crucial penalty for England. Jordan Henderson's been having a decent World Cup and so has Ashley Young. This 3-5-2 sort of formation is really working for England and Gareth Southgate. But... Against Colombia, we did sort of see how England sort of buckled up under pressure. And when Colombia was on top, they could have easily done a bit more. But overall, I think England were the better team in the game. And they should take a lot of confidence out of this uh, Round of 16 victory. But given that this is English football... You can't say that it's a show shot short victory against Sweden.
1: Yeah, I think Colombia, we saw just how much they missed Hamas Rodriguez in this game. They had the ball for a lot of periods in this game. They had, they had possession in dangerous areas. And they were just lacking that central figure who could play the final pass, play either Carlos Baca or play Rattleman Falcao in behind the defense to, to go one-on-one with the goalkeeper. I feel like if they had him on the pitch, then we would have seen a much more competitive game. Maybe even Colombia coming past this English side. But yeah, moving back to England, uh, I do think they're contenders as well. I think maybe um, there's a couple more teams who, man for man, I would take over this England squad. Uh, Maybe they are missing a, a couple of creative players here and there, but playing very well so far. And they do have the momentum behind them. We haven't seen English support like this in a really long time, of course, because as we know, England are prone to an upset. But I think they've come into this tournament as the underdogs. That's relieved a lot of pressure off of them. So they're playing without fear, the fear that most England teams in the past we saw had.
0: Not only are they playing without that fear, they don't really have any of those mental scars that the English Golden Generation, so-called English Golden Generation had. And also, I think that their defense has been pretty spot on. I'm really, really impressed with both John Stones and Harry Maguire. I think they've really raised their game and they've definitely been two of England's superstars this World Cup. But let's come on to Colombia. And of course, they missed Hammers a lot. Uh, we could clearly see how Colombia's creativity was almost halved uh, with James' exclusion. And a lot was said about Quintero coming into the game, how he could fill in those shoes. But uh, I guess he just couldn't deliver on the night. He wasn't so impressive. And even though he had a good tournament, maybe the big game pressure got to him. Falcao, he's aging as well. And Cuadrado wasn't at his absolute best either. Yeri Mina was the superstar for Colombia this World Cup. He scored three headers in three consecutive games. He was the one who kept their hopes alive, really.
1: Yeah, after that game, I've seen Mina being linked to a number of top clubs. Uh, I think Radamel Falcao's never been so the sort of striker who's going to come deep and affect play uh, by taking the ball, by making opportunities. He's more of the sort of striker you can expect in and around the six yard box, always there to latch onto an opportunity. So, yeah, we did miss Hamas Rodriguez quite a bit in this game. Um, but so, England and Sweden, looking at this game, where do you think this one's going to be won or lost?
0: I think it's going to be a very. Uh tight game. they are not going to be a lot of goals in this one. But I do think that England will edge past Sweden. And that's solely because of that quality in this English lineup. I mean, they're young players. They're energetic. They have a point to prove. And even though Sweden have had a very, very spirited and tough, gritty tournament so far, I think they're going to fall short. And uh, they could potentially penetrate that English defense. But I think that England have enough quality up front to score enough goals.
1: Yeah, I don't see there being a lot of goals in this one either. I think England's quality up front, Harry Kane in particular, I think in this game will be the difference between the two sides. Um, I think England are very good, but their wing backs are really good and they'll give uh, a lot of trouble to the Swedish defence, especially since uh, while you're playing a back three, if you have your wing backs pushed up, if you have a lot of the ball, then you have a lot of people in front of the ball, a lot of people in the opposition's uh, final third. So I think that's where Sweden uh, might not be able to stop England from playing. But uh, then again, let's see just how well Sweden can hit England on the break. They're a big physical side. So let's see see if they can trouble England's back three.
0: One last thought on England. I think Jordan Pickford was absolutely fantastic. He made a wonderful save in the dying minutes of the game to deny Uribe a goal. And even though the corner came off that goal on which Jeremina scored, I think Pickford deserves a lot of plaudits. He looked very, very composed and confident before the penalty shootout and I think England were right to sack Joe Hart. Pickford is deserving of the spot and he has what it takes to become a legendary keeper in the future.
1: Yeah, this time we saw Gareth Southgate picking players who've come off of very good domestic seasons and uh, that's exactly why Pickford's in the squad over Joe Hart. And we're seeing that decision being vindicated for him.
0: And that wraps up episode five of Zach and Berry Talk Football. If you enjoyed our podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. And if you agreed or disagreed with any of our opinion, don't forget to comment below. Also, tweet us at Zach and Berry and being A and D, and also follow our Facebook page to get our updates and opinions on the games. Uh, the Facebook page is Zach and Berry as well, but the and is an ampersand.
1: That's all for this week. My name is Zachary Aga. This is me signing off.
0: And I'm Beram Kazi, see you later.